Uh, while they're doing that, if you'll get your Bibles out and uh, turn them on or open them up, however you do that, we've made it to Exodus chapter 6, and we're actually starting in verse 2. And as Miss Susan shared with us, this section of Scripture <coughs> is called Vaira, which means, uh, and He appeared. <coughs> uh, once again, the way these sections are divided up, they're divided up uh, obviously in sections that it could be read within the year, and then they will name that section according to the uh, major theme. And usually it's the major theme that you find at the very beginning of that section where it says there in verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So <clears throat> um, there are a lot of passages for us to cover this morning. Uh, this section actually goes from chapter 6, verse 2, all the way through chapter 9, uh, because it deals with the first seven of the plagues. And we're not going to dissect those uh, too much, but there are, some, there are some very, very important things dealing with uh, those plagues. And also I want to say that I honestly believe that this section of Scripture... Uh, might be one of the most important passages in your Bible. And the reason I'm saying that is that um, if you can grasp uh, what he's talking about and what he's saying right here, this is the key that will unlock the rest of your Bible. Literally. It will help you understand everything of what God has been doing, what He is doing, and what He will do. And it all revolves around this issue. Um, and so, <clears throat> this section of Scripture, now that I've said that, is important. Okay? So, uh, follow along with me. I'm going to read the first, um, let's see, 13 verses or from uh, verse 2 down through verse 13, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of uh, breeze through uh, this uh, portion and try to make some sense out of this. So starting with verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the, Egypts, of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. 
So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. We pray that God is and will continue to honor the reading of His Word. Amen? Okay, so there's a number of things here, and I'm going to jump forward and then come back because it's this section here where He says, I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, it's really sad, quite honestly, It's really, really sad that in your Bible and mine, in almost every single Bible you get, uh, you're going to see this phrase, and I've talked about this before, but here is where we're going to see how critical this is, where it says, I am the Lord. And I've shared this with you. The Translators do this out of respect uh, for uh, the Jewish people who, and God's Word that says don't take His name in vain. And sometimes you'll find a Bible uh, that uh, will use um, the Hebrew names and stuff, and you'll find them substituting instead of the Lord, they'll have the word Adonai. That is not His name. They've played tricks with that too. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. His name is Yahovah. Now, I'm just going to say this for now because we'll we'll go forward. But everybody's thought it was the name Yahweh and Yahuwah and and all these other phrases. Uh, There's a guy, Nehemiah Gordon. He's not a believer, but he does a lot of great textual studies. He's spent his whole life trying to study Uh, the actual name of God, um, the actual name of the Elohim, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how to pronounce it. He is now at over 900 manuscripts out of the Bible um, with the correct vowel pointing under the four consonant of the letter Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. We talked about that, I believe, last week. So his name, and, and so those are three consonants with no vowels, but they, have, they are now finding it with the vowels. Why? Well, because of the internet and computers is why it's finally coming out because before this, you had to go dig through libraries and you had to physically dig Now with computers and stuff, they can program it and it can go find it and go find it in the libraries that are making them now digital. And is why that they're now able to start finding them where before it was so hard. Anyhow, and the overwhelming textual proof is that the correct pronunciation is Yahovah. Now among the Hebrews, they argue whether or not that one letter was pronounced as a V sound or a wah sound. I'm not going to get into that today because we've got way too many things to talk about. 
What I want you to understand is that when it says the Lord, I would encourage you from now, from this day forward, when you see that, you're going to have to translate it the way the Jewish people do, because when they see yod heh vav when they see Yahovah, they will not say it. They will say Adonai, or they will say Hashem. Hashem means ha the. it's the prefix for the, and Shem means name. So they'll say the name. So our translators, out of respect for them, insert the word the, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to let you know that in the original text, it's yod vav Now, the reason I'm spending this time on this is because I even struggle with it. When I read, I am the Lord, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob uh, as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And I read that, and when I read it, and I read the Lord, what enters into my head because of what's gotten into my mental cognitive DNA, because I'm 61 and a half years old, to me, the Lord means master, king, ruler, the Lord of the mansion, right? I can't be alone in that. Um, And that is not what he's saying here. And he's saying that his name is Yahovah. I've told you this before, that phrase, Yahovah, that name is in your Bible 6,821 times. Nearly 7,000 times. It's important. Now I'm going to show you why. We're going to dig through here and we're going to come back and spend more time with this because he says, and then he says this, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That word is El Shaddai. El, God, Elohim. Elohim is the the suffix for plural. So El is the shortened form for the word God, or watch this, Elohim means where he resides or where he's from. He's from heaven. He's a heavenly body. That's why in Psalm 82 it says, God, Elohim, was standing in the midst of the Elohim. Okay? But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is unique among all of the Elohim. Think of it as Texans. (laughs) Okay? He's unique among all of those that are in heaven. And he goes by all these names, and one of them is... Yahovah, which we covered, which means I will be that which I, what I will be. Okay? So, uh, he says he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the Elohim that is Almighty. And he said, but by my name, Yahovah, I didn't make myself known to them. Clarify this just for a second. They knew what his name was. But what he's saying here is, I didn't 
prove myself as the one unique God who will be what He wants to be when He wants to be it as Yahovah. I didn't do anything specifically to prove to them that I'm unique among all the other gods by this name. They knew what His name was, but now He's about to do something different. Now, let me just tell you this part. Up until, you have to remember... When the people came into Israel, I mean, when they came into Egypt, there were 70. They were not a nation. It was a family. It was a clan. It was a gathering. You following me? They grew into a nation. This is when God births his inheritance, Israel. Tracking with me on that? Before that time... He was manifesting himself among all the people on the earth that he was there, but he hadn't had the people of Israel to make a distinction between them and all the other people for the purpose of proving that he exists and that he is the only God among all the other gods. Does that make sense? It hadn't happened before. Now it's about to happen because he's going to birth the nation. At the Tower of Babel event is when he divided the nations and divided the languages. In Deuteronomy 32, it says he divided the nations according to the number of the sons of God. Uh, now, and now he has his inheritance, Israel. This goes back to the battle between him and the fallen deities. You following me? And so he's saying, I didn't make myself known, known to them by Yahovah, these people of Israel. I made myself known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. In other words, I'm God Almighty. But now he's about to prove through Israel and to the world that he is unique among all the other gods. And there's only one way to eternal salvation, and that really is through him. And following him, okay? I spent a lot more time on that than I planned on, but it's very, very important. So now he says uh, that he established his covenant with them. Uh, he told them they were going to inherit the land of Canaan, uh, and they were sojourners there. And then he says, and I've heard their groaning uh, of the people of, e of Israel there in Egypt. Uh, and I remembered my covenant. He's saying, now listen, I know that they're there. I'm remembering the covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was going to give them this land. And I've also heard their crying. And then he says this. In verse 6, he says, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am Yehovah. Insert that, I'm telling you, insert that every time you see that in your scriptures. It'll start to change the way you read your Bible and help you understand it. He goes, I am Yahovah. And then he says this. He goes, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egypt of the Egyptians. I said it twice, of the Egypts. <laughs> out of the burden of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. In verse 7, it says, I will take you and I will be your God. Uh, in verse 8, he says, I will bring you into the land. He says, I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahovah. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. And let's look at this just for a second. And uh, there's some slides there. 
about the four cups. There's the, this is where when you celebrate Passover, this is the passage they use for the four cups of wine used during the Passover meal. The first cup is the cup of sanctification where it says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out, bring you, that, that's where you get the word sanctified. Sanctified means separated from. Important to understand that because it says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It's the first cup of sanctification. That's what God has done with us. When we come to him, he brings us out from among the other peoples. We are now, if you will, no longer Gentile because Gentile means just simply of the nations and not part of God's people. Uh, Anyhow, that's the first cup. The second cup, which is the next one, it says, and I will deliver you from slavery. It's the cup of deliverance. The third cup, which is the next one here, it says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm showing his power. And he says, this is the third cup of redemption that's used in the Passover meal. And then there's the fourth cup. The fourth cup is, and I will take you to be my people. The fourth cup is the cup of restoration or the cup of praise, depending on what group of Jewish people you're connecting yourself with and the way you celebrate Passover uh, is why there's two different views on this. One says, you know, restoration, which kind of talks about being brought back to something. But this is God. They weren't a nation before this time. And so there's a number of people that we say that this fourth cup is the cup of praise because he says, and I will take you to be my people. And they use these four cups. And they've added one more cup, which is the cup of Elijah. When we get into Passover, and we'll celebrate it this year uh, in the spring, we'll spend some more time talking about that. But here's what's absolutely fascinating. I'm not sure why they chose four cups. Because these four cups revolve around the I wills in this passage. When I first started digging into this topic years ago, I'm one of those guys that's just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm too black and white. It drives Sonia nuts. She'll say something and I'll ask her a question and then she'll say something. And I'm like, yeah, but this is what you said. She goes, well, you know what? I'm like, well, words mean things. And it, <laughs> so um, I'm just so concrete and it would get me in trouble in school. You know, seriously. I'm like, I don't understand. They're like, just go with it, Paul. I'm like, okay. That's why poetry doesn't do anything for me. It just, it's too hard. I'm like, just say what you mean, you know? And if I've got to read something for what it means to me, I don't get that. It's just like, just tell me what, it, what you want to tell me. So I'm reading this passage, and I'm understanding they have four cups from the four I wills, and I'm going, I think I got past first grade, and I learned how to count. I'm going, well, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm seeing more than four I wills. I don't understand. (laughs) And so to this day, I'm still not sure why there's only four. But here's what's fascinating. There's seven I wills in here. There's not six. There's not eight. There's not 13. There's not 10. There's not 10 and a half. There's not five, there's seven. 
You should know seven is the number for God and it's a number for perfection. I've said this a million times already. If you see something repeated in Scripture, you should pay attention. If you see something repeated in Scripture in close proximity, you should really pay attention. If you see seven things repeated in Scripture in close proximity, you should really, really pay attention. And right here he's trying to tell him, look, I proved myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. I'm going to prove to, my, prove to you that I am Yahovah in what is about to happen, and I will do certain things. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to do this. I said it. I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do because I am Yahovah. I will do what I say I want to do when I want to do it, and nothing and nobody is going to stop me from doing it. That's some good news, amen? So there's seven of them there, and some of it of what he says, he goes, uh, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And then look at this, and he goes, and you're going to know that I am Yahovah, your Elohim. When I do this, you're going to know that my name is Yahovah, and I will be what I will be when I want to be it, and I will be your Elohim. Man, that's good news. Amen? Hallelujah. And he goes, and I'm going to bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I swore to give it to them. I'm going to give it to you. I'm, you're their descendants, and I'm going to give it to you. You can bank on this. And on top of this, I'm going to give it to you for a possession. Why? Because I am Yahovah. He says it again. Um, and then after he says all of this, <laughs> Moses goes and tells the people of Israel, and they're like, whatever. Remember, they've already been told to make bricks without straw. They've already been beaten. They're already not happy. You imagine the excitement Moses had to have had. What? Whoa, this is going to be so cool. And he goes and tells them, they're like, and look at my back, Moses. Look what you did. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, and then in verse 10, you know, so Yahweh tells Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Israel, let my people go. And then Moses goes, right. These people you're telling me to lead, they're not, they don't even listen to me. Your people are not listening to me. And you want me to go tell Pharaoh to let these people go that aren't even listening to me. Can you imagine how lonely that had to have been for him? How scary that had to be for him? Okay, let me get this straight. Pharaoh is the omnipotent ruler of this part of the country, of this part of the world. He has your people in slavery. They don't listen to me. They think I've lost my mind. They think I'm stirring up trouble that got their backs whipped. Pharaoh can kill me 
without due process. They're not listening to me, and he hasn't listened to me, and you want me to go again. And God says, exactly. Uh, and so that's exactly what he does. Now, I want to jump forward. We're going to literally fly through these next few passages of Scripture because I've got a lot to cover. <clears throat> so if you jump down into uh, verse 26 of this chapter, says, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said. First time I read that, I was like, I don't understand what in the world you're trying to say with this sentence structure here. He's trying to say, he's, God is making a point that, specifically, this is Aaron and this is Moses. These are the two guys that I actually spoke to. And these are the two guys that actually did what I told them to do. It says, to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they, Moses and Aaron, who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. From Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when Yahovah spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, Yahovah said to Moses, I am Yahovah. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am uncircumcised lips. How is Pharaoh going to listen to me? Once again, Moses keeps telling him, says, I don't talk that well. I stammer and stutter. Like me this morning, I'm saying some things that aren't even real words. Uh, uh, Moses had a problem with that, but God said, not a problem. I'm still going still gonna to use you. <clears throat> so if you jump down into uh, Exodus chapter 7, uh, in verse 17, now <clears throat> he's telling uh, Pharaoh that he needs to let the people go. And here's a, another you're going to see this repeated throughout this passage of Scripture in this section. In verse 17, it says, Thus says Yahovah, By this you will know that I am Yahovah. He's going to say that phrase or something like that so many times in this section. It's almost just like getting beat with it over and over and over again. You're going to know that I am Yahovah. You're going to learn to fear Yahovah. I'm going to prove myself that I am Yahovah among all the other gods, and I'm going to do it in a variety of ways that's going to boggle your mind. If you jump down to verse 20, it says, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. He lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned, to, turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart was, remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as Yahweh said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after Yahweh struck the Nile. There we're going to see that seven again. And so what did they do? They dug along the river. Why? To let the dirt filter the water. They would dig down and let the water seep through. That's what, if you're, star, if you're dying of thirst, you're in the wilderness and there's, you know, water that you need to drink, that's one way to naturally filter it, if you didn't know that. Uh, you would dig down close to it and let the water seep 
through the dirt, and that's one way to filter it. And so that's what they were doing, doing, trying to drink, and they had to do it for seven days. Um, I'm, I, I, need to, I need to keep going. If you go into Exodus chapter 8, <clears throat> uh, this is with the frogs that Miss Susan was telling us about. You go to, to verse 9, it says, Moses said to Pharaoh, because the, the frogs had already been there, Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and from your houses be left only in the Nile. What he says is, Pharaoh, you tell me when it needs to happen. Just so you'll know that I'm not manipulating anything here, let it come out of your mouth, Pharaoh, when this is supposed to happen. That's what he's telling him. And in verse 10, he says, it says, and he said, tomorrow. And Moses goes, okay. Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like Yahovah, our Elohim. And that is exactly what happened. So he let Pharaoh determine the timing of when the frogs would stop. And so it came out of Pharaoh's mouth so that Pharaoh would know that Moses also wasn't doing some kind of magic trick. Um, when you get down <clears throat> into verse 20, this is the plague of the flies. And in verse 21, it says, or else, if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Watch this, verse 22. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Yahovah. In the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your tomorrow, and your people tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And that is exactly what he did. He put a distinction between his people and the people of Egypt so that these plagues would not fall on the, his people there in Goshen. Why? So that Pharaoh would know so that we would know so that all the other demons would know that all the other nations would know that this was not just a magic trick. All these plagues came on the people of Egypt, but God separated his people and did not let those plagues hurt them, even though, watch this, they were there. You just need to let that one sink in a little bit as you think back on us studying through the book of Revelation. We, got, we have to move forward. The fifth plague is, starts in, verse, in chapter 9. <clears throat> this is where their livestock die. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahovah, the Elohim of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of Yahweh will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But Yahweh will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. 
so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. So he does it again there. He says, I'm going to send these plagues. This is going to come on everybody, including the livestock, and they're going to die. But watch this. I'm going, this isn't even just geographical. This is like a plague. People, it's like, you know, the flu is, you know, that's a, <laughs> the Texas plague or whatever that's going on around now, and everybody's either fist bumping or just waving or wearing a mask or like, you know, hey, God bless you, running a fever, don't show up, <laughs> you know, it's okay, you know, just stay home and make a sandwich and pretend you're here eating with us, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, God made a distinction between his people, even with something like that going around. Pretty cool. And he did it so that, he says it again, so that you're going to know that I am Yahovah. <coughs> and then you jump down in verse 14. <coughs> this is the plague of hell. Anybody here ever see the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Eston? Okay. Uh, <coughs> Great movie. I mean, I loved it. There's a lot in there that's just not biblical, but it's still, you know, very fun to watch. Um, everybody makes a big deal out of this about the plague uh, with the hail and the fire. And they want to try to make this, I think, quite honestly, into something that I don't think it is. They, they want to try to make it into where the hail is catching on fire. I've never interpreted it that way. I know that people have dug into these passages and they try to find a way for it to actually say that. And maybe they can make it say that. Uh, I just don't think that's the point here. Um, let's read this because it starts in verse 14. It says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There it is again. For by now, watch this, he says, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. What he means there is, I could have already just killed you. I could have easily just killed you. And he goes, now this is a verse really you ought to highlight. Um. It's verse 6, and he says, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name, and his name is not Adonai, it is not Hashem, it is not the Lord. It's Yahovah, or if you're more comfortable with Yahweh, fine. Uh, or if you want to say yod heh vav -Hey, that's fine. Uh, but he says, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I want you to notice, he says, for this purpose, I have raised you up. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to Pharaoh. So who raised him up? Yehovah did. Little side note for just one second. Everybody's clamoring and hate and whatever, you know, Donald Trump. Uh, I think our country got so bad and on the brink of absolute implosion that God needed to raise up somebody that wasn't prim and proper and definitely not a politician uh, to try to clean house. And sometimes when, when it gets this bad and you got to clean house this bad, 
you you need uh, you need somebody with enough gumption to throw some junk in the trash. Um, and what everybody is forgetting that God says in His Word that He's the one who will put a king in place and raise up and tear down whoever He wants to. And everybody is arguing over politics and have, do not have a clue as to what's really going on. People struggle with this because, uh, theologians struggle with this because they go, well, hold on a minute. Now, Pharaoh's the one that's fighting God and God says he's the one that raised him up. Exactly. Question. Who chose Judas Iscariot? Yeshua did. Did Yeshua know that he would betray him? Yes, he did. Did God know it before time began that Judas would betray him? Yes. But who chose him? Yeshua chose him. God chose him. Why? Because he knew it would happen exactly that way, and he wanted it to happen exactly that way so that he could prove that he is God. Does it make God the author of evil? No. Does it make God bigger than evil? Yes, because even those that are evil will try to do what they want to do, and God goes, really? <laughs> the psalm says that he's in heaven laughing, going, really? I'll even let you use your free will, and I will weave it into my plan. I will not deny your free will, but you think you're all that. And what you don't understand is that I'm outside of time and space. I know exactly what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, and when you're going to do it. And I know all the options of what you could have done. I know, the, I know all the optional futures. Try wrapping your brain around that one. That's how big our God is. And it says, for this purpose, I raised you up, Pharaoh. Why? so that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. Folks, this is huge in your Bible. This passage of Scripture, this section of Scripture, I'm going to challenge us to really read this and try to digest it and to digest it well. And he, in verse 17, he says, You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I'm going to cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send and get your livestock and all that you have in the field into a safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord, feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. Did you hear see that? Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. People were catching on by now. And they're hearing, and it says, those who feared the word of Yahovah among the servants of Pharaoh did what Moses warned them. Verse 21, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of Yahovah left his slaves and livestock in the field. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant in the field and in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and, and Yahweh sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. Fire ran down to the earth. 
and there was thunder. Hmm. Anybody ever see lightning? Here recently, has anybody ever heard of uh, snow lightning? It happens where there's lightning striking the ground when it's snowing in a snow thunderstorm. It happens. It's not extremely common, but it does happen. Um, so Yahweh sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail. Such had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Yahovah is in the right, and my people and I are in the wrong. Plead with Yahovah, uh, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. You notice that, like in this passage, it never talks about that the, everything is burning up. It never says that. It just says all the destruction happened from the size and the amount of the hail that fell down. That these hailstones were so big. Uh, that it was crushing everything and everybody. Does that sound like what we just studied in Revelation? Yeah. Uh, what else was happening? Well, there was lightning, I think. I think that's what was happening. It was just a massive, massive thunderstorm. Was there some fire and stuff? Sure there was. But the main issue that was happening was all the hail. I don't think the hail was falling down and the hail was catching on fire. That's just my point. That's my opinion and you can debate me on it if you want, but that's just then you can go buy some coffee. <laughs> and so in verse 28 says, Plead with Yahweh, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to, to Yahweh. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you will know that the earth is Yahovah's. It belongs to Yahovah. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear Yahovah, our Elohim. Um, and then that's exactly what happened. And so this is everything that's been happening here in these first seven plagues uh, dealing with uh, the distinction between Yahovah's people and the people of Egypt. Now, Man, I am really running out of time here. Let me see if I can get back to my notes. Um, where did it go? Here it is. So there's a number of other verses that I want you to see uh, dealing with this issue over God's name. In Genesis 4, verse 26, it says, to Seth also was a son born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahovah. Talked about this yesterday at my house. Uh, most people 
really get kind of confused on that one because it says they were calling upon his name. Well, when you get in the original Hebrew, it's not really that they were calling upon him, like praying to him, but what they were really doing was blaspheming him. It says that, at the, in other words, a better way to interpret that passage is at that time, people began to blaspheme or speak. It, the, the word is not even really blaspheme. It's the, the people began to speak negatively towards the name of Yahovah. You have to remember, too, this is in Genesis 4, just prior to Genesis 6, <laughs> just prior to the flood. So it's at this time people were getting very negative towards Yahovah and hating him and speaking negatively towards him. And then that's when the flood comes. But they knew what his name was. That's the point I want you to see. There, there's many of other passages, but let me go into Psalm 68, verse 4. So it says, seeing to, and I'm going to try to insert the proper words here to help us grasp this. Sing to Elohim, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is Yahovah, exalt before him. Psalms 83 verse 18, that they may know that you alone, whose name is Yahovah, are the most high over all the earth. Isaiah 42 verse 8, he says, I am Yahovah, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. You think there's a theme going on here throughout Scripture about dealing with the name of God? And then this is a longer section of Scripture that I want to read. It's out of Zephaniah. And I want you to understand that this is when God gathers all of His people together at the end of all time, and he, a lot of times we will refer to this as that greater exodus event that will be happening. It hasn't happened yet. Here's another way where we know it hasn't happened yet. It starts in verse 9. It says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples. The peoples is goyim, it is the nations, the people, everybody in the world. He goes, for at that time, I'm going to change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. This is a reversal of the Babel event. When he confused the languages, at the end, he goes, I'm going to change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of Yahovah. Huh. And serve him with one accord. In the same way that people were serving their own evil desires at the Babel event, trying to build a tower up to God and be like God, just like Hasatan, just like Satan. He's saying that the, the reversal is going to happen that at the end of time, when I gather my people back, I'm going to give all the peoples a pure language once again, and they're going to be able to call upon my name and serve me with one accord instead of them serving themselves and their evil intent with one accord like happened in the Tower of Babel. 
And it says, from beyond the river's cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of Yahovah. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth any deceitful tongue. For they shall gaze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult in all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yahovah has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, Yahovah, is in your midst. You shall never fear again evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let, your hands grow, not, let not your hands grow weak. Yahovah, your Elohim, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I'm not through. I just needed to pause. His love is going to quiet us. And He's going to exalt over you. Singing. God Almighty, when it's all said and done, it's almost like I get the picture of those women in the Davidic dance of God dancing and singing because of you. That's what it says. You and I do not even begin to grasp how much God loves you, loves us. We haven't even scratched the surface. That is just absolutely amazing to me. Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says Yahovah. He literally says, because all of this is about his, him, his name being praised in all the earth and his people being called by his name and his name being upon us and him gathering all of us to him and giving us a pure speech so that we'll be able to say his name properly. And he goes, and when all that's happened, when all that happens, 
I'm going to dance over you and I'm going to make you renowned and praised in all the earth instead of an outcast, instead of hatred and demonized. Wow. The amount of anti-Semitism that's alive and well in the world today is mind-boggling, thinking we're only 70 years away from the Holocaust. And yet I want to tell you, it will get worse. It will get worse. But to the extent that that has been happening since the people of Israel were birthed because they are God's people, the exact opposite of praise and renown will be established. That's some good news, amen? And those of us that love God and are called according to, by His name and praising Him and serving Him diligently, that praise, because we've been grafted in, is going to be even brought to us, and God is going to dance and sing over you. And in that passage, talking about the end of time, is a direct mirror of the first exodus out of Egypt. Right out of Egypt. This issue over His name is huge. It is massive. If you can begin to grasp that the important thing is God and His name being praised, it'll change the way you look at your Bible. It'll change the way you look at serving God. It'll change the way you think of yourself as a quote-unquote Christian. It'll, think, it'll change the way you think about the way you even look at your wife, your husband, your kids, your neighbor, your boss, your employees. It'll change the way you view the Torah. It'll change the way you view the Jewish people. It'll change the way you view the world. This whole thing revolves around God saying, I'm Yahovah, that's my name. I will be that which what I will be when I want to be it. And I have a name. I have many names that talk about my character. But this one that says, it's a play on these verbs, I will be what I will be, Yahovah, that's who I am. And I'm going to put it in your Bible nearly 7,000 times. I'm even going to repeat it in the New Testament through this. In everything you do, whether word or deed, do it what? You can repeat it. You know it. Do it all to the, to the glory of God. It's repeated over and over and over and over. The reason the word of God hasn't changed is because God said in Malachi, I do not change so that my servant Jacob isn't destroyed. That's why the scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why he said at the very beginning, he says, look, at the very beginning of this, I'm going to tell you the very end of the matter. Why? So that you'll know that I and I alone am the great Elohim named Yahovah. No other being can do it. Not 100%. 
And watch this. Some of them can mimic and copy me. But not all of me. Some of them can perform miracles. But they can't perform them all. Some of them can perform miracles real similar to me. But you know one thing they can't do? They can't separate a group of people in the midst of the plagues and keep them protected. They can't make the whole area dark except they're in Goshen around their people. They can't allow the plagues befall the whole earth and God's people still be protected. Because I can. Because I'm God. That's what he's trying to say. Everything else in your Bible pivots on this one truth. I am totally convinced that that is the truth. And that is why it says this in here. He says, listen, I proved myself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But these people that are now about to be a nation, they were not a nation when they first moved in. They became a nation while God was hiding them in Egypt. Sort of in the womb. Protecting them knowing that they would be birthed through great travail. He's using them to prove that, he's, that He is who He said He is. <clears throat> and He says, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I prove myself as God Almighty. But now to these people, when they are birthed, they will look to me as their heavenly Father, and as their husband, and they will know that my name is Yahovah, I will be that which I will be when I want to be it. And at one point, God, the Father, became Yeshua. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. I don't say anything I don't hear my Father saying. I don't do anything I don't see my Father doing. I and the Father are one. Don't really try to wrap your brain around it because you'll go crazy. To explain the Trinity. Did you know that Yeshua was there in the wilderness? We'll get there. But when they're going through the wilderness, God the Father says, I'm giving you my angel, my messenger. That's what that word means. I'm giving you and sending you my messenger. And you're to listen to him and obey him and follow him as he leads you through the wilderness. And then he says, Why? Because my name is in him. Who do you think that was? Yeshua. There was a rock that was there that they drank from. Paul tells us that that rock was Yeshua. It goes on and on and on. He was all throughout the Old Testament. He's always been. He's always existed. He's the one that created everything. And he and the Father are one. I know. Well, then how was he praying to God the Father? Is he praying to himself? You can play with that one all you want. That's just the finite trying to be the infinite. I, all I know is that it's true. But he wants, you to, he wants you to praise him and serve him for the purpose of him receiving praise, glory, and honor. Now, one little thing that I'm going to close. Way too many people focus on way too much about how you pronounce his name. You just get over it. There's people that literally say that if you're not saying it right, then you're not even saved and 
you're serving some pagan god. My response is, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm from Texas for crying out loud. I know I don't sound anything at all like a Texan. You're supposed to laugh at that. Or maybe you're not because it's too obvious, or you just, you sound the same. You, I used to tell people, that I don't have an accent, do I? And they would just start laughing. I'm like, really? I, I don't really don't think I have an accent. But then when I listen to myself, I'm like, who is that hick? Um, <clears throat> people that speak English speak it all these different ways. There are some people that speak English that I simply cannot understand. And I had a chance to go to Scotland. They speak English over there, some form of English. Their accent is so strong, it's very hard to understand them. But let me tell you a little bit of trivia here that's really kind of interesting. The Scottish came over into the New England area, and then when they migrated, guess which way they migrated? South. And then across. And that's where you get, watch this, the southern accent and fiddle playing from Scotland. So if you listen very closely to the southern slang accent that you find in the deep south and the fiddle playing and everything, and then you go back into Scotland and you listen to Scottish music and language, and you, listen, you will see and hear the similarities. But I've been here a long time. And so from Texas, from Roy City to Scotland, and me trying to understand that same language, it just doesn't even sound the same. I'm so glad that when it becomes important, really important, that at the end of time, God goes, I'm going to fix that. And we'll get the download, kind of like in the Matrix, you know, we'll get the, we'll get the instant download, and we'll be able to have this pure language and speak it all properly, watch this, so we can understand one another and understand Him and serve Him with one accord and there will be no confusion because we didn't understand what we're being told. He's going to do that for us. Isn't that good news? So when you hear all this other peripheral stuff, just blow it off and go, okay, whatever, whatever. But God is now revealing it, and we're getting closer. That's the important thing. Amen? I want you to know, man, God loves you. He loves you very, very much. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. He sent Himself. This essence called Yeshua, the very Word of God that became flesh and died on the cross for you and for me so that we could be together forever with Him. That's some good news. Amen?